0: Scary Stories, Part 1, The Brick Hello, I am Dr Robert Ancillary, curator of the Museum of Anomalous Experience. This is the first of three recordings to share with you some tales of the supernatural that have been told to me, sometimes in confidence, although I'm sure there are no ethical issues here. Each tale focuses on a single exhibit at our museum. Some notes on convention before we begin. Where a witness's testimony is of dubious quality, I will adopt the standard convention of giving them a Cockney accent. Sometimes uh, the events described are of a personal and sometimes intimate nature. Where this is the case, to protect their identities, I have changed my name. Their names. Their names. The first exhibit from the museum I'd like to share with you is an unusual piece a lowly house brick. There is nothing unusual about this fragment of masonry, you might think, and very astute you are too. This is, of course, a replica, based on an engraving of the original, which was mysteriously lost when one wall of the museum collapsed in a storm in 1964. The exhibit was found to have mysteriously disappeared around the time the rubble was removed. Curious. But what, you must be asking, What has this simple object to do with the supernatural? Well, if you stop interrupting, I'll tell you, Jesus. Our protagonist is one Samuel Mortimer, the son of a Yorkshire pencil sharpener. Uh, This was back in the days before the process was automated. Samuel was brought up the youngest of three, both of his parents being older. Subsequently, Thatcher outsourced pencil sharpening to the private sector, which naturally resulted in the untimely deaths of both parents, and, seeking his fortune, Samuel travelled to London. He had some success working in a second-hand shop for one-armed Falklands veterans. This had given him enough money to think about buying a house, a house perhaps, that could contain bricks. His diary describes his excitement at taking on a new project, the refurbishment of of a late Victorian property around London, more specifically, in London. We have become so used to tales of the paranormal set in town-centre car parks or on industrial estates, how refreshing, then, to find one set in a creaking, dilapidated character property with period features. We are also fortunate that Samuel kept a detailed diary. September 20th. My search has been rewarded... This morning, I found a wonderful little property while out looking with Sarah, his girlfriend. Sadly, run down and much in need of renovation, with some serious structural defects. Frankly, I don't know why I still go out with her. The house, on the other hand, requires cosmetic modifications, which should be well within budget. I visited the place and had a comforting feeling that I should be spending a long time within its walls. It has stood empty for some time, And there is evidence that someone has broken into the outhouse. There are a number of items of graffiti, a chad featuring a round-headed man standing behind a wall with his long nose hanging over the front. Beneath each one, in childish writing, is the text, Marianne was here. Wonder who Marianne was? No obvious signs of break in Would you believe it? When I contacted the estate agent, they informed me that only a few minutes before the owner had accepted an asking price offer. I must have this property. The following day, Samuel contacted the owners directly and offered them a small additional sum above the asking price. He was refused. The day after this, he offered them substantially more. He was refused. On the third day, he tried again. The diary does not disclose the sum involved, but something in the spirit of the house had clearly settled within him. This offer, too, was declined. And here, something occurs which is not fully documented within the diaries. When I called the estate agent, he refused to discuss the matter, calling me a nosy bastard. Samuel seems to have located and visited the other couple attempting to buy the house, and shortly after this, their offer was withdrawn. And now, Samuel submits a substantially lower offer than before. The offer was accepted. We jump now to the day of contract exchange. Samuel's diary captures in detail the sense of nervous anticipation, the uncertainty of whether or not he's made the right choice, that feeling in the depths of your gut, the inner turmoil that Samuel feels as he opens that decaying iron gate on that fateful morning. I will read you a short extract. October 28th. Collected keys to new house. Move went smoothly. And so... The renovation work began. October 29th. Began work in the living room stripping wallpaper. Beneath the wallpaper there are more instances of the graffiti I saw in the outhouse. Clearly older than I thought. Also found a strange circle in the wall above the mantelpiece, about one centimetre across, softer than the surrounding wall. A whitish substance. Odd. However, I don't think it's relevant to the story, probably just filler. Samuel went to bed in his makeshift bed, little more than a sprung mattress on a pinewood frame with crude Egyptian cotton sheets and a goose-down duvet, expecting a night of undisturbed sleep after a hard day's exertion. But it was not to be. Instead... His head was filled with strange, nightmarish images. His sheets in the dark became grasping hands, holding him down, pulling him down, claustrophobia, a nightmarish sea tossing and turning, his fears, his tangled sheets, his dreams. He was unable to escape from, from, from. October 30th. Awoke this morning in a cold sweat. On the wall behind my bed is another Chad. Strange that I didn't notice it last night. In the living room, all those little men peering over the walls give me the strangest sense of being watched from behind walls. I'm sure there are more of them than there were yesterday, and they appear more hurried, desperate, as if someone were trying to communicate something to me. But what? And why don't they just use Facebook? I continued stripping the wall around the chimney, where the fireplace had apparently been sealed up. I noticed the plasterwork was somewhat clumsy, done by an inexperienced hand or perhaps hurried. Sure enough, as the wallpaper came away, so did the plaster, and then some strange desire seized me, and before I knew it I was clawing at the plaster, tearing it off with any tool that came to hand, and then chipping away at the brickwork behind it, until a single brick fell away, and I fell back, exhausted. I stared through the black aperture, and slowly the shape of something suggested itself to me. A faint outline in the black void beyond the wall. Once again, the urge took hold of me, impossible to resist. And slowly, carefully, I reached forwards and cleared a couple more bricks. And then a couple more, and suddenly the mortar gave way and a cascade of bricks fell into the room. As the dust cleared, in the darkness of the chimney-breast, behind the bricks were a pair of legs. Naturally, my first thought was for the value of the property, and, after a revitalising cup of tea, I realised that the person entombed behind the fireplace must remain secret. For this to happen, I needed to dispose of the body quickly. Clearly, they had not been missed in fifty years, and there was no sense sacrificing a significant proportion of the resale value of the property to unnecessary tales of murder and intramural bodies. I set about removing the hardened corpse— To my distress, it would not come away from the wall. After a certain amount of pulling, the body came away from the head, which appeared to be fastened to the wall on the rear. I removed more of the bricks, managing to get up to head height, and then realised, to my horror, that the soft material I had examined in the wall was the victim's nose. The person had been entombed in the wall by the nose... This was no speed-building accident, this was a deliberate action. I can only imagine that this was done after death, and what symbolic function embedding someone's nose in the wall would achieve, I could not guess. Anyway, now released, I placed the body inside a bin liner and took it to the tip, where I was disappointed to discover it could not be recycled and dumped it in other rubbish. Samuel's work on the house continued uninterrupted for a number of months, and he was pleased to observe that no more Chads appeared in the house on his newly replastered and repainted walls as he prepared it for resale. That is, at least, until the following January, when his diary indicates that he discovered a small scribble on the wall next to his bed. It read, Marianne is lonely. This is around the time there was a significant slump in property prices, and this is the final entry in the diary. Samuel was not seen again after this date. His disappearance remains a mystery. I have visited the house myself. It is on the market again, only now in excellent condition, except for one small piece of graffiti in the dining room. A man looking over a wall with the text, Marianne was here, underneath. I also noticed that in the living room, in the chimney breast, at about eye level, there is a small round patch of an unidentifiable waxy white material. Scary Stories was written and performed by John Thrower for We Are Not Alone 2013. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please download Tallington, our new audio drama series, which will be released in seven weekly instalments starting on January 5th 2014.